1: Hello there, this is Augusta Nielsen from Wigwam. You're listening to Growing Up Rock
2: with Stephen and Hollywood. And this is a great Wigwam tune for you all. You let me cold, but baby, now you're back for a piece of the pudding like a kitty cat. Till baby kick me out And left my heart in the gutter No matter what you got It's not enough I'm a cream and my butter
0: Okay, Grown Up Rock listeners, this week my co-host and partner in crime, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, decided to take the private jet over to the Himalayan mountains to quote unquote find himself. I don't know what that's all about. He said he needed a little bit and I quote, me time. What's up with that? So, with that in mind, I decided to take advantage of the opportunity I had to talk with Wigwam frontman and lead singer Augustin Nielsen about the band's new album release, Out of the Dark, which will be out this week on February 10th if you're listening to this episode at release time. If you're new to Wigwam, they were formed in Halden, Norway in 2001. The band is Augustin Nielsen on vocals, Trond Holder on guitars, Bernd Jensen on bass, and Euston Anderson on drums. They adapted these crazy stage names Glam, Teeny, Flash, and Sporty. So if you're familiar with the band, you know that's kind of their stage names. The band has released five studio albums, with the new album Out of the Dark being the sixth album. The albums are 667, The Neighbor of the Beast, which was later changed to Hard to Be a Rock and Roller, Wigwam Mania in 2006, Nonstop Rock and Roller in 2010, and Wall Street in 2012. And they released that right before they ended up splitting up in 2014. The band would later reunite in 2019 and release a new album called Never Say Die. That was a fantastic album. It was released in early 2021. Later in 2022, the band had the great fortune of being sort of noticed by director James Gunn. And their song, Do You Want to Taste It, which comes from the album Nonstop Rock and Roll, was selected to be the title track in the new TV show he was making for HBO called The Peacemaker. The song would be predominantly featured every week to kick off the show and was featured with a pretty funny dance routine by the cast. It was an amazing promo piece for the band, which really got them noticed. I discovered the band upon my discovery of the band Ammunition, which, as you will hear in our discussion, is basically a solo band that Aga had after Wigwam broke up. I found it because Eric Martinson from Eclipse is in the band and is also a co-writer of a lot of the material that was on that Ammunition record. The band put out two records at the time of this recording. Anyways, in this interview, Augustin and myself talk a lot about the band's history, a little bit about the ammunition and the large Queen tribute uh, production that he does every year in Norway, and of course, the new album Out of the Dark, which if you're a fan of Never Say Die, you're going to love the new record Out of the Dark. It's really, really solid record. Uh, I hope you all will enjoy our conversation, and as always, thanks to my co-host and partner in crime, Hollywood Pooney, for joining me on this rock adventure that we call the Grown Up Rock Podcast. You are the man. Now, let's get to this week's episode, my interview with Wigwam frontman, Augustin Nielsen. Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast, Augustin Nielsen from Wigwam. How are you, man?
1: I'm fine. I'm uh, already packed, ready to go to Australia for our first Australian tour. A little bit sad. I should have been in Key West right now with Wigwam, but we never received our our working visas in the right time. So we're still waiting for them. And luckily we we have uh, been postponing most of the tour for April. So we're coming down there.
0: Yeah, I know you are. I had to uh, help out a fan that was very sad because uh, you guys had to pull out of uh, the Key West thing, but they're on the Monsters of Rock cruise, as am I, and uh, I had to let them know that, well, you won't need visas for the Mork, right?
1: No, 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 no. So... Whatever happens with the Weezers, we're going to be at the Monsters of Rock cruise. But we're we're dying to come down there and play.
0: Yeah, we're excited to see you on the Monsters of Rock cruise this year. You guys were maybe going to be there last year, but couldn't work it out in time. And this year, this year, you guys are there. So we're excited about it.
1: Yeah, we are too. I've never been at the cruise, so uh, not that cruise. So um, it's going to be amazing. And a lot of great bands that I love. When we're not playing, we're going to attend all the shows we can.
0: I think this will be our fourth or fifth year in a row now. We've noticed this kind of injection of the uh, Nordic bands into the mix. And fans like myself uh, that grew up on a lot of the older stuff, the Van Halens and the Kisses and things like that, are much more excited nowadays with the bands basically from Sweden that are coming out uh, because we're big fans of that kind of stuff, you know? It's really exciting to see like this new energy, but with this old vibe uh, musically, you know?
1: I understand what you're saying, yeah. Sweden has uh, quite some bands that I love too, yeah, like Eclipse and Heat and, you know.
0: So let me find out a little bit about the band's history and your history in particular, because... I came into this thing with ammunition. The ammunition record is what turned me on to the band Wigwam. Wow. I was an Eclipse fan. I didn't know much about Wigwam. And when I got the ammunition record, obviously it tied in Wigwam. And I said, okay, well, let me go investigate (laughs) Wigwam. So that's how I found you guys. Then, of course, you've had all this more recent success with uh, Peacemaker and all that stuff, and that's been well-documented in the last many interviews that you've done. So I'm not going to really touch on that because I think it's well-documented, your history with booking agents and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Peacemaker. I'd rather, I'd rather talk about something new. So uh, cool, cool. So what's your particular history? Did you grow up in a musical family? How did music come to you? Uh,
1: music came to me through Elvis Presley. My father was a huge Elvis Presley fan, so was my mother. So they used to play in you know, all the old vinyls and singles, and and so I was brought up on Elvis Presley, and he was the king of rock. And I I cried the night the the king died. I remember that very well. We listened to Elvis all the time, and I didn't know back then that I was going to be a musician. I was uh, I was set for being a football pro, <laughs> you know. Loved Liverpool, and you know, Kevin Keegan was my hero. And then after a while, I loved Elvis back then, but it never struck me that music would be something for me until I heard Beatles, actually, uh, and I became a Beatles fan. And then I found something called glam rock through a friend of mine, uh, Sweets. Mm-hmm. His older brother had had some singles, and they looked fabulous, you know, with their f- flashy outfits and everything kind of dug that so i started to play guitar uh, and i also played the uh, house organ you know back at my grandfather's place and started to you know create melodies like you know eight nine year olds do mm-hmm. and i found kids and i you know started to dream about being a musician and and uh, started off in a band uh, as a guitar player and and we didn't have anyone to sing so i started to do the vocals and after a while I found it very hard to both sing and, and play guitar and I thought the other guitar player was much better than me and so I, uh, I was more, more and more only the singer and um, after a while I picked up, the, picked up the acoustic guitar and did some you know, troubadour stuff and yeah, played in different bands uh, and uh, at the end of the day I, maybe I was unfaithful to the, to the boys in the band because I started to do other stuff as well, not only that hard rock style. I discovered showbiz, and um, there was this guy called Gusty who discovered me. He was, he was, uh, you know, a showmaker, and he started adding me in some shows, I did some musicals, and then suddenly I, I got a job in the Norwegian broadcasting as, uh, as a background singer in a huge program. Like eighty percent of the Norwegian population was watching that program, so we started to be kind of famous, kind of for being on TV. Right, I did some musicals. I, I, I did. Uh, I was woof in in uh, the musical here, played uh, like almost a year, you know, and uh, stuff like that. But I always dreamt about being in a band and um, making it. Just had a band, we released a single, and, and but we never made it with the, with an album. And then after a while, actually, I started a band with musicians that I still play with in my solo band and in my Queen band, and uh, we had a deal with Ronnie Leticro from T M T. He produced our what was to become our first album, but at the same time, he tore the band to pieces because we were like, like this the Who sounding kind of thing, you know. And he brought too many heavy metal influences. And I was brought into the heavy metal element that I kind of was was uh, doing before this band, and nothing happened. So, so after a while, I uh, started doing more solo stuff. Mm-hmm. I released a solo single, and then I released my first solo album. Call myself G Steam. <laughs> <laughs> in not Augustine but Justin, yeah, I was much cooler. And uh <laughs> Eurovision Song Contest and I came in number three. I had a great career there. So um, but after a while I was kinda of more more uh, more into uh producing my own musical shows. I had a produced a music show, a tribute show to to Eagles where I had Yorn from Yorn London uh-huh. as a singer. I was the producer of this show and he was the singer. Right with two other singers. And I did a Creedence Clearwater tribute show. I was one of three singers that I produced and stuff like that. And then one day I met the guys in Wigwam and we we were just a jam band until we was booked for a eighties um, theme party. And uh, three or four days before that party, I told the guys to bring whatever from from the eighties, you know, worth of stage wear. And we decided on the nicknames and the band name and everything. And we had great fun off there.
0: <laughs> yeah, let me talk to you a little bit about that—the early days of Wigwam—because to me, as an American, when first discovering Wigwam, I was unsure whether you were a for-real band or <laughs> or a parody band.
1: Yeah, we were a parody band, right? But that's how we got started because you know we we were doing the 80s stuff, and I thought you know this—I I didn't take that serious at all. We were. It was the music that we all loved. We did the, the old classics from Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, all those kinds of bands. No or, original songs at all. And so we only did kind of party stuff, cover band, you know? Yeah. Almost like Steel Panther. Sure. And we started to make this crazy history of the band that we actually came from from America, from from Brooklyn, the Polish quarter of Brooklyn called Bronze with a set. And that we were miserable musicians uh, that, you know, never made it in the early, late 60s. So we we moved to norway and took norwegian names and now we were finally uh, doing the the comeback that we had been waiting for for so long and we took back all the lie we took back all our original songs you know that we had lost because we were we were so drugged you know we were addicts in the 60s so All these musicians took uh, stole our songs from parties and we didn't know it until we heard them on the radio. Like Living on a Prayer, and I Was Made for Loving You, and songs like that. So we played those songs live uh, the original way. (laughs) Crazy idea.
0: So at some point, though, you stop being a parody band. I mean, you don't still consider yourselves a parody band, do uh, not you? Not anymore. All <laughs> yeah, right. So what? What was that point? Was it after you put out the first wigwam record, or was it three records into it?
1: Uh, we were kind of slowly growing into this more real, realistic world. You know, mm-hmm. this was. Mainly in the first years of the band, from two thousand to uh, two thousand and four, maybe, mm-hmm. where we did all this parody stuff, and when we we released six six seven, the neighbor of the beast, the first edition of Heart to be a rock and roller, we were still kind of a parody band. I mean, wh- which band opens their album with a with a song called the best song in the world? <laughs> it <was> like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Uh, it what is it? The um, are you familiar with? Uh... Jack Black, the, the pick of yeah, destiny, yeah, 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 that yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but slowly, we were
1: taking more and more seriously. And uh, after, you know, we did the Eurovision Song Contest 2004, mm-hmm. we were still kind of a parody band. Because I remember when we had a press conference uh, in 2004, I was interviewed by uh, Often posting in Norway and they are the most serious daily in Norway. And he wanted wanted to check out with me where we came from and everything, and did a real interview there. And uh, I told him, you know, we come from Brooklyn, uh, the Polish quarter, of Bronx, Bronx, you know. And then, <laughs> and he was writing it all down. I told him about the part of things that I told you, you know, and and he wrote it all down. And the next day we had two whole pages about you know the, the Norwegian Eurovision Song Contest final, right? And two pages about us and the crazy story, you know, about John Travolta being one of my best friends, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but in, in other dailies, they would say the guys pretend to be something they're not. But it's just a cabaret show, you know. And um, But after that, in 2000, around the late 2004, it kind of slowly got more and more, you know, real, even though we still had, you know, kind of that uh, same kind of image. But, you know, we... We weren't that parodic <laughs> anymore, and slowly turning into, you know, the the concept that that was just, yeah, a concept thing, you know. But at the same time, when, when we got back together uh, for for the comeback, one thing that we discussed was actually our image. Are we gonna? Are we gonna still doing that? Are we still gonna do the nicknames? Because after, you know, when when Wigwam broke up. Uh, I started doing other stuff. I, I did my Queen show here in Norway. It became kind of a, a household name here in Norway, you know. with As being a solo artist and with ammunition and so people knew who Augusta Nilsson was here. So it it, it felt kind of uh, awkward to... now we're going back to the fantasy world, you know. Because this is the first time we can... Never Say that Die is actually the first... Uh, maybe Wall Street 2. But maybe the first album that, you know, the, the image and the 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 kind of fantasy world that we used to be kind of living in is gone, and then we can write songs about real stuff, and we can have some tongue in cheek songs as well. But we now we we are not trapped in that that image hole, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective as a fan and coming into this thing way after the parody thing, uh, the last record. Which was really my first sort of true record, right? Never Say Die, I would say, is the first that feels really real and cohesive. Not to say that there weren't songs from previous albums that were not, you know, definitely weren't parody songs, but, you know, Never Say Die just feels like a complete real band, real album rock and roll album to me from the band and this latest album, uh, which anybody that likes never say die will love out of the dark because I've been going through the record nonstop for the past week or so. And it's very much, very much cohesive as well. I mean, it sounds amazing. Uh, the record sounds great. I love the songs. I've already got favorites on the record uh so it's uh, you know I can't wait for the fans to hear this and I can't um. wait to hear some of this stuff live but I just feel like that's you know the parody the name thing because e- even in your PR right it's it's Augustine Nielsen glam in parentheses so the yeah. the the, <laughs> the parody thing is sort of still there
1: Yeah 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 you know w- in, in norway people would always call always call me glam before you know it it took quite a while before people started to call me by my real name actually it took many years so even even today when when uh, the press is writing about me sometimes it would say glam this and that you know even though i'm more known as augustine Nielsen than glam today so but they like playing with that, of course.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's fun. It's part of the band's history. I don't think you need to get rid of it. Uh, I think maybe to some fans, new fans, maybe it's going to be confusing a little bit. I don't know. But once they dig in, they'll be fine. You know.
1: Of course, it's a much easier name to pronounce, Glam, than Augusten Nielsen with that that Norwegian O. You know. So, uh, but I'm I'm kind of happy that I didn't take any kind of artist name back in my early days. I mean, coming from Norway, my name is David Blacker or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be something strong and Viking. <laughs>
1: yeah, I That's very hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, hey, look, I'm just uh, proud of the fact that I'm able to not butcher it and, and yeah. get and get it right the first time around yeah. because
2: good.
0: <laughs> yeah, we as Americans we butcher that stuff. The little uh, umlauts or the little things over the letters. I had to like research that and go, what What the hell does this mean? Yeah.
1: I, often I, I tell people from my brother to call me Age. It's spelled the same, you know. And my name is A G E S, almost like Age, you know. And my middle name is Stan, and that's Stone in English. So Stone Age.
0: Yeah, Stone Age. <laughs> exactly. Stony. Or Augie. <laughs> I
1: don't know. I'm not Stone. I'm al- not
0: Stone. <laughs> we can always call you Augie. Augie, yeah, people do. Uh, so you you referenced it earlier, and I did a little bit of research, and I found it to be pretty amazing. You talked about doing. These covers of tunes and everything. This Queen show that you put together, which I think has become an annual thing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we we we've done it since two thousand and seven, uh, and we quit touring with this show in on our ten years anniversary uh, tour. That was the last tour, and now we just do it, you know, uh, once a year in an arena. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, this is a huge production, and it's not just. I mean it's not just a concert it's basically a complete it's like a yeah it's a complete play right it's a play ver, uh with real music but also theatrics involved in this whole thing
1: I thought you know instead of just doing you know in uh, the typical tribute show just playing the music I tried to make a cross between Phantom of the Opera, Cirque du Soleil, and a real rock and roll show with my favorite music, and that's because you know Queen's catalog so so different musical styles and everything. So and and you know the lyrics they're so cinematic. So I could when I listen to it, I could kind of feel you know here's a story to tell. Yeah, you know. So if we've done like four or five different productions of it where. I make different stories for each show. And sometimes it's about the girl that I'm losing and, you know, I'll come in and shoot this guy who's, you know, (laughs) there's a different story for for every show. And uh, sometimes it's just a song or a sequence. I remember at the last, you know, the the show was called X, the, the last tour, I had a whole bunch of songs that I tied together, like trying to shed a light on Freddie Mercury's kind of, Identity crisis. I mean, from, you know, the great pretender and going down to, you know, uh, innuendo and who wants to live forever. Like, yeah. So, uh, living on my own, ending uh, ending with uh, me and my daughter doing a duet on who wants to live forever. Kind of, you know, like the father of <laughs> goosebumps.
0: Yeah, you know? the goosebumps, the yeah. hair on your uh, uh, arms stand up. Yeah. Just thinking about it.
1: And, and you know, been having so so much fun working with that show and the reason why i started with this show was way back when when we when i did the musical shows that i told you about i had this idea for this queen show but i never had the time to fulfill it because we wigwam was taken off it had so much to do with wigwam and in 2007 the guys decided they wanted a, a break you know uh because we've been touring so much and um and everybody needed to take have some some space, you know, and uh, and I agreed on that. But I didn't agree on uh, taking a break without having a date somewhere where we we're going to get back together. It was so uncertain.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I told the guys I, I really don't agree because, you know, this is at least it's my daytime job. My boss just told me you don't have a job anymore until we tell you so. Right so what are you to do two other guys they had like daytime jobs you know in in between Mm -hmm. and tron had his studio so he had you know bands coming in whatever i was a touring artist so so i went to this place where my with a guy who actually found me way back in the the, the late 80s and brought me into the showbiz world i went to his office because i knew he was running this stage in my hometown Told him about the Queen show and I would like you to co-produce it, and he accepted. And we started working on it. I brought in some choirs and some dancers, and you know, and the show was very long. The first first edition, it was one and a half hour. Then it was a break for a quarter, and then one and a half hour. Because you know, killing darlings, it wasn't my style. So I wanted to have everything because this show was gonna only gonna last for like five shows. So I, for me, it was like, whoa, I'm gonna make the most of it. Little did I know that five shows became ten, ten became fifteen, and then suddenly we had booked one and a half years on the biggest theaters in Norway, you know. And when the guys called me from Wigwam wanting us to get back together again, I told him, you know, sorry, but now I'm 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 full up. I have no time. So you know, rumors were spreading that I I didn't want to come back with Wigwam again. That's not true because <laughs> I told them, you know, I I need need to have something to do, and uh, I was fully booked. So I was kind of the kind of the the, the bad guy in the, in the band because I was egocentric and not doing the wigwam stuff, you know? But after a while, we got back together and we made uh, one hell of a record with nonstop rock and roll.
0: Yeah, Le- lead singer's disease, obviously. Yeah, lead
2: singer's disease, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly understand it from that standpoint, and I guess that was probably the beginning of what soured the band uh, relationship-wise, because you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys ended up in 2013, I guess, breaking up. and
1: Guitar players and singers, they have different you know agendas. And I remember when we were going to record what was to become Non-Stop Rock and Roll, we finally were going into the studio in 2008 mm-hmm. because we, we needed to have this uh, in order to do the tour in 2009. So I took a lot of uh, months off from my, my other work. And then suddenly Tron couldn't he wasn't able to to do the recordings because he was doing something else his Dra- Dracula thing you know so I was there 3 months off what am I to do and plus I knew that without making this Wigwam album 2009 would wouldn't be touring year for us because we didn't have any album out so I I recorded a solo album and made sure that I had something to do in 2009 so communication breakdown you know and after a while they were doing more of my your, your stuff and i thought you know they treated we more or less like a side project so one day i just told the guys before going on stage this is gonna become the last show that we do and after the show is done i'm gonna go back to where i live and i don't think we're gonna see each other for a long long time and and we did for many years yeah that's sad but but uh you know I think we needed it, and I really needed to um, work with someone else. I found Eric Mortensen of Eclipse. I w- he was doing, uh, he was producing my what was to, to become my soul album, my hard rock soul album. But he asked me if I wanted to form a band, and uh, so we did. And I formed another band too with John Morum and Mickey D, and we call it Nordic Beast. We were also thinking about you know writing original songs until. Um, Mickey got his uh, gig for for Scorpions. Then he was too busy (laughs) again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, the two Ammunition records are fantastic. Is there a chance that you and Eric will put out another Ammunition record in the future?
1: He's got his Eclipse, so it's very hard for him to work work in a band like Ammunition, I think. But I've just been um, recently... Visited his studio and wrote some songs up there with him. We will still write songs together. Yeah. I think Ammunition as a unit will become more and more like um, Nordic Union. No, it, it will become more and more like a 70s band, play only live in the studio and maybe more progressive, I think. But I'm going to do more solo stuff and I'm going to work with with Eric and uh, and write songs. And so, so I, I think probably my solo career is going to become more sounding more like what used to be ammunition because let's face it, the first album was more or less a solo album and it was pretty much, you know, Eric and me doing both albums. So it will probably sound very similar. So you, you can relate to, <laughs> to, to the sound there.
0: Okay. Fair enough. So uh, let's talk about this new wigwam album out of the dark because it, it's coming February 10th. So by the time people hear this interview, it'll be right around the corner, if not the corner. I've already spent a week with it. I think it's fantastic. Like I told you earlier, I have favorite songs off this record already that have, you know, that have grown on me. So what was the process of putting this record together? Because it feels to me like Never Say Die really isn't that old, but it is. It was 2021. So this record came together. How? How did this record come together?
1: not too long after never say die had been released uh, we, we agreed on starting to write songs because we weren't that busy you know it was still the pandemic situation you know with the uh, lockdowns and and hard to get gigs and gigs have been you know postponed year after years and and the the lineups for the biggest festivals were already set two years before you know very hard so we tried to use the time cleverly you know so we started to write some songs, and the first song to be written was actually out of the dark and it was simply Tron and me sitting in his studio and and playing around fooling around with different ideas and he played me this riff and we had just to come out of a, um, a conversation about him uh, his breakup with his girlfriend and we we're, were talking about you know that kind of situation and and that it might lead to something better and uh, making his life maybe lighter mm-hmm. in a way and of course, when you have that, you know, in the, b- the back of your head, and you start writing a song, and suddenly you know, have some, some some words there from the conversation, you know, out of the dark, you know, my <laughs> uh, my straight jacket is off, I'm, my freedom is won, you know. So that's more or less kind of stuff that we talked about, and then of course we dramatized it a bit uh, into someone else that we know that had been living in a you know a, a domestic violent relationship. And uh, suddenly we had out of the dark, and it felt also very right for that that song to become the title track because you know we we were on our way out of the pandemic and everything. And little did we know that our history would become even darker during that year because we lost our agency and everything. And then suddenly it became light again, and we saw the light again. And you.
2: (laughs) make sure you subscribe to our podcast growing up rock and leave us a review on itunes give
0: us a like and leave us a comment on facebook at growing up rock so is the next album called into the light no
1: (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe dead and gone
0: hopefully not
1: (laughs) no no. No, so so that was the first song and and we, we started writing songs i started to write a bunch of songs back home in my my little studio here, and uh, and, uh, I sang with Tron and Burnt, who was delivering some songs. And I remember the the Bad Luck Chuck song. That was actually the result of us uh, jamming together. We were just having a jam session during a a rehearsal. And it was, wow, this sounds great. And everything, we we didn't intend to write a song. And that's the cool thing.
0: That one is one of my first favorites, Bad Luck Chuck. Okay, it is. Yeah, me too. Love Bad Luck Chuck. (laughs) Love the name. And
1: we all have a friend like that. I mean, we all have friends that you know that they're blaming everything, you know, for not having success or getting a girlfriend, and they never look themselves in in the mirror and say, you know, how is that that I'm so out of luck? Yeah. Are you just are you having a bad having bad luck, or are you just kind of dumb? (laughs) I
0: mean. I like the way the song breathes in between the riffs. Those are the songs that I sort of gravitate to that have the yeah. the nice big fat riff, but they're able to breathe with the verses and the pre-chorus and stuff. Yeah, uh, that's just a fun song. The other one that is a favorite of mine is the song "Ghosting You."
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, actually, the song that I wrote. I my my intention with that song was to write a song for for something ammunition. Yeah, so in my 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 demo tape is more sounding more like the 17th stuff you know yeah 70s and um and uh, when when i brought it to tron i really wanted to have that same feel but he he's playing different than i so it's a bigger guitarist. so i i tell tell tron you know a cool thing that you can do on the guitar i don't i know you don't have it right now but if you find that Later in the process, can you do that? You know the the what you the the tube you the talk what do you call that tube you put in your yeah, mouth?
0: Yeah, uh, talk box. Yeah,
1: the talk box. He didn't quite understand my, my what I was talking about. You know where how? I'll show you. Just put on the mic, and I'll you know. Yeah, here's the idea. And um and when the mix was finished, I listened to the song, and I complimented Tron for for the, the talk box effect. You know. Yeah. Great. Wow, you did it perfect, Trump. Well, you should applaud yourself because it's you. <laughs> so he just used my my thing there. So it's me bur- 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 around, you know.
0: <laughs> nice. The pre course is really good on that song as well. I like the pre course quite a bit, the big vocal harmonies and stuff. Yeah. Tell me about the song American Dream because it's always interesting to me when. Folks outside of this country write songs like this. Trapped, <laughs> in, trapped inside of the American dream. Truth is not what it seems. Talk to me about this.
1: Uh, it's not my lyrics. This is a burnt song. So he he wrote that song, and it's it's a cool one. I think it's got the punky edges to it. Mm-hmm. Almost sounds like uh, something that could have been released by uh, Turbo Negro from from Norway. You know. Yeah. And and normally when he when he writes songs, he has a very different way of of making his melodies, writing his melodies, you know. So and normally then he he creates his songs to fit with his voice. And his voice is pretty much like Lemmy meets Gene Simmons meets Hetfield. So sometimes I feel it very hard to to sing his songs. And uh, very often I told him, you know, you sing that song yourself because it sounds much better with your voice on it. Because you got a raspy thing, you know. This one uh, I uh, did my take on, and I uh, I think we, we found the right way to for me to sing that song, and and, and the lyric is very direct. It's like, I guess it's singing about the hypocrisy and stuff that you see in the media, you know. And uh, what is the American dream?
0: Yeah. You know? Well, the American dream I think has changed over the years. It changes yeah. every year, right?
1: There's plenty dreams left?
0: Do you guys make a conscious effort to put instrumentals on every one of your albums?
1: Yep, because when we started this band, let's face it, um, Tron is some years older than me, and he was like a guitar hero when I was like walking around in diapers. No, not not that really, but he was like the best guitar player I had ever heard coming out of Norway, maybe except Ron Littik. they they are two very different style uh, guitar players. I really prefer for uh, Tron's playing because he's got you know that Van kind of style. He's, he's got a bluesy edges, everything. And I really dug him, um, and still does. And and when we were, when we wrote the first album, we thought, you know, it's so cool to have at least one one instrumentalist. We, we were actually thinking about, you know, eruption, and you know, being, uh you know, that that parody band. We we did this instrumental called Erection, of course, ah. <laughs> so, yeah. and that was a major part of our show. You know, Tina's got erection, you know, was and. Um, for the next album that was already kind of created to have a solo on the album and he's been having one for each album except for non-stop rock and roll where he does little vocal on one song okay and i think that's great because you know he has such a such an emotional way of playing and, and especially 79 i think that's probably the best instrumental he's, he's done so far because it's so you, you can just feel it it's 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 for real yeah. You, you you kind of feel that. It's it's almost like listening to those classic solos from Gary Moore or whoever, and that's why he also he called it seventy-nine. It's he's paying homage to his guitar heroes.
0: Is that Gary Moore?
1: He's one of them, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you can definitely hear that in this song. I mean it's a slower blues jam of uh instrumental and, and uh I definitely hear a lot of Gary Moore in the solo uh or in the Song in general,
1: and you can hear that he, he's he's not just a, like a heavy metal guitar player. He you, you can hear that he, he has gone all the way down to the roots. You know, he's he can this guy can play anything, and uh, he's playing with his heart on his sleeve, and he's you know he's he's awesome.
0: Yeah, he is a very good guitar player, no doubt about that.
1: He really shows too, you know, it's it's very much high ad- adrenaline. So when it comes to that to that part when he's going to do his solo, i out there.
0: <laughs> Well, oh. <laughs> gives you a break, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what all solos are meant to do. Give the singer a break.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you have a song on this record that you gravitate towards or one that I'm sure that uh, your favorite song kind of bounces around? Uh, and I'm sure you like all the songs, but there is there a song in particular that you gravitate towards right now on this record?
1: I really love Apricot Shazam.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's a rocker
1: aggressive song it's something about the whole thing i mean and and i remember i was listening to i was watching cnn when i received you know the the idea for the you know the, the intro guitars and stuff uh Tron sent me an instrumental there and and i had just been watching cnn and uh, lots of stuff about the war and right there you know ukraine was hitting them back and I was like, yeah, go get him!" And I came down here. I had been drinking some red wine. I was like, down here in my studio, put that shit on. Headphones were blasting. And I <laughs> you know. And the melodies just came almost in one take. And uh, some of the words came to my head. Because I had just, you know, my head was so full of the, the war things. And I'm, I, I've been kind of worried about the whole situation in the world. And, uh, yeah, so the words pretty much the lyric role itself
0: yeah upper cup shazam is a cool title too
1: yeah yeah of course i thought about you know the peacemaker stuff later yeah that it was really perfect fit but this was this song was made long before for peacemakers so little did i know that we would do some comic stuff later <laughs> yeah
0: then you guys got a uh well <laughs> so i'll revert back to it uh but the album cover is very comic book isn't it
1: yeah it was planned that way
0: yeah okay well fair enough yeah it makes sense to me
1: i'm pretty much the guy who who's in charge of all the, the graphics and you know the 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 visual visual uh design and you know the direction that we're, we're going even with never say die and you know how to create that that video and uh you know us picking up the guitars the, the desert landscape and everything the mad max kind of stuff that was my idea and for this one i wanted us to be a bit more flashy I wanted us to be, you know, not too far away from the Never Say Die uh, direction, but, you know, a bit more shiny, but not 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 what we used to look like. You know, it was all silver and uh, red lipstick and stuff. But now more into that Peacemaker world kind of, you know, comics and stuff. So, we, we're play- of course, we're playing with that. Um, that's that's the one golden card that we have. So. Yeah,
0: why wouldn't you, right? You'd be a fool not to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we have this person, and in you know, other booklets, it's booklet is cool with, you know, it, it's almost like a story in there. and
0: Yeah, it makes sense for sure. <laughs> so the song Forevermore, very much a Viking feel song, very much a Norwegian feeling song. Very Celtic. Yeah, that too. Uh, yeah. And sometimes, you know, for me, I kind of get the Celtic and what I refer to as Nordic feeling you know because i i identify it with viking in that that area but yeah. where did that song come and and uh how did that one come about
1: on the i'll lo- never say die i had a song i had written a song called kilimanjaro mm-hmm. that we all loved you know the the the, the western feeling and you know, back then the story was about the the life that we had gone through i mean the tales of the band yeah <laughs> how, how we were leading our lives, and we weren't that healthy back in the days, you know. So, on this album, I think Tronny told me he wanted to to do something similar, some acoustic sounding thing. So that's kind of his take on the previous albums, acoustic song with a different theme, of course. But you know, one for all, over one, and going to war. I mean, this battle hymn thing, and uh, and I really dug it. Yeah, it's um, at first I thought, you know. I'm missing kind of the the Wigwam DNA in this song because it sounds more like something that would, especially the chorus that would would come from Eric Martinson, you know, that's kind of Nordic style. You know, Eric, when he writes songs, he's very into folk music, you know, he uses a lot of the folk music inspiration in his songs and creates that massive sound, you know, pop, heavy metal style. But, you know, you can hear those, you can hear where it comes from. And with, with this one. But I think it was cool to have something like that on on the album. It's it's a very diverse album, so but you you never get tired of the same sound, and especially when you hear that boy no <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's the, almost like the intro for for
0: Vikings, you know? Oh, well, totally. Like, <laughs> it hit me as exactly that. I was like, oh, this song could be perfect for a Viking, you know, whatever, Netflix show or whatever. <laughs> Let me ask you this, which brings to mind this question. But with the success of Peacemaker, do you guys ever enter the writing process either together or on your own with that thought in mind of what can I write that's going to be the next commercial or the next? Do you ever think about that at all? Now,
1: nah, we're a heavy metal band, horror band, so our biggest concern is to to write songs that hit us directly there and then, of course. And picking out the songs for this album, I, I mean, we had we we had that in mind, of course, because the sync guys that that brought us um, the 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 Peacemaker gig, you know, and every everything around that. They really wanted more songs from us, so uh, because uh, *Paisley* maker is obviously hopefully coming back with the season two, and um, they are very keen on listen. They were very keen on listening to songs, new songs and old songs. So we've been sending lots of lots of stuff to them. And for this album, we had like four, five, six more songs that we didn't use for this album, and uh, even a song that I wrote with the Eric Mortensen is is a great song. With that with that in mind to maybe songs that could actually become kind of songs for series or, you know, a bit more commercial, but they all have different styles, you know, sounds like wigwam, but, you know, a bit more commercial. We didn't use them on this album because we, we were saving it for a rainy day. So who knows, instead of having this coming out now on this album, we because we wanted this album to be exactly like this album was. An album is a journey, you know, you can, you can only have so many kind of, Hit songs or commercial songs, you need something hard, you need something soft. So, we're gonna take people for a ride. You don't wanna stay too long in each city, you know? You need to take them to the next city and give them something else, you know? Yeah. Oh, because if you you go to Las Vegas on every song, you kind of get bored with Las Vegas. Me and my my wife, we had to Las Vegas for two weeks. I mean, too long time, you know? So, you, you get kind of bored. Because you've already seen it, you've already smelled it, you've already broke it. You know, so. <laughs> so so we we, we saved save the most commercial songs. I think for maybe some singles, I don't know. Yeah. So let's see, and yeah. uh, I'm betting you you're gonna hear those soon.
0: All right. Well, I'll tell you what, this record I think is fantastic out of the dark, which again releases on February 10th of this year. I think people are going to love that. Before I let you go, I got to ask you a couple of monsters of rock cruise questions because I I would be crazy (laughs) not to. So myself and my partner, we're going to be on the cruise. We look forward to maybe shaking your hand and saying hello to you. Yeah. But for the cruise, you get two sets. Do you guys know what you're going to be playing in those sets yet?
1: I'm, I'm not familiar with the two sets. Uh, that's news to me. We, are we going to play two sets, one indoor, one outdoor maybe?
0: Uh, well, that could be. I never know where they're going to put uh, bands, but I know that you guys will get two one-hour sets because that's generally okay. what what everybody plays.
1: You know, uh, that's going to be interesting because now before going to Australia, what we have decided, I mean, we, we rehearsed uh, so many old songs. Yeah. Now, of course, there will be new songs. So we're aiming for us to try to, you know, as a KISS fan, when you when you go to one KISS show and you go to the next KISS show, they're identical, you know, and the third KISS show, there's no changes. So we will try to to. Turn things around, bring in some old songs. I mean, if you go and see us in Melbourne, and if you come and see us in Perth, I mean, that would, of course, some songs will be the same, but you know, you, you'll you'll hear songs that you didn't expect to hear. And the same that if we got two gigs of the same boat, you know, same cruise, of course, there will be changes.
0: I think we appreciate that as fans, of
1: course, <laughs> and uh, because you know, we, we have songs that we haven't played for many years that we'd love to do. I mean, we even brought back "Bless the Nights" to our set we hadn 't played that for years, and then suddenly when we did it, it was like, "Wow, it felt so right, yeah, and sometimes we do out of time, and we do uh, of course, do you want to taste it Th- that needs to be in the set correct and for, the, for, the, for, for Never say die we played you know hypnotized never say die we 've done Kilimanjaro, Call of the Wild with flash on vocals we 've done my Kaleidoscope arc with the guys having a break I mean, during, sometimes i 've done it with my piano on my own. Just to keep everything down and sometimes we bring in Lasse, the keyboard player and we do that together and and uh yeah and we do uh, shadows of eternity of course, so a lot of songs from the New- and hard hard love we've done that yeah, that comes up for sometimes we do that after the guitar solo and start we kind of do uh do you know the, the thing together guitars vocals
0: bad luck Chuck's gotta make it into the set. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm uh, I'm pretty convinced that bad luck Chuck will be a part of the set, yeah, because that song when when we wrote that song I was like yeah, it's a perfect it's a perfect one for for our, our live set, you know. So yeah, got that you know live feeling to it. So yeah, awesome. <laughs> got to dedicate it to all the drunk people on board that are so out of luck. They're not gonna bring home the girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Beautiful. That's rock and roll, right? Yeah. Well, Aga, thank you for your time. I appreciate everything. It's
1: been a pleasure talking to you, man.
0: Man, you too. We'll see you in April.
1: And uh, watch out for the, the touring days because we're going to do like two, maybe three weeks on the road before getting on that ship.
0: We will definitely do that. We'll tie the WIGWAM website to the show notes so people can go hit it up and find all the information they need to on WIGWAM. I appreciate it cheers brother keep
1: rocking in the free
2: world <laughs> okay. see ya get ready to shuffle rattle and roll Lay us out boys Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it.